You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Hello once again from Sprott Money News at SprottMoney.com. It's Friday, April the 17th. It's time for your Weekly Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Craig Hempke, and joining us as usual is Eric Sprott. Eric, good morning. Good morning, Craig. Uh, been a crazy kind of week here. It looked really good at the outset, and it's kind of cooled out here a little on Friday, but... Uh... Uh, lots to chew on out there, but most of it medical, by the way. But let's take it from there. Let's do. And uh, as everyone knows, most uh, bullion companies are considered non-essential at this point for whatever reason. So we still are operating, though, at SprottMoney.com. And we are still offering great insights that you can sign up for the Sprott Money newsletter if you visit the site. And I will be discussing uh, a number of things with expert Rob Kirby next week. I know Rob is a, uh, a big fan of Eric's and vice versa. If you have any questions for Rob Kirby that you'd like me to ask him next week, please send them in to us at the email address submissions, the word submissions, at SprottMoney.com. We'll try to get to them and have that posted for you at the SprottMoney.com website next week. But Eric, let's get right to it in terms of uh, what you've seen this week. A lot of interesting news on the virus and some attempts to kind of restart parts of the global economy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, lots to think about there. Uh, First of all, uh, today being Friday and the futures being up and it's seemingly an announcement by a reporter uh, that uh, Gilead, who has a drug called Remdesivir, uh, that they did some study, I think it was in a Chicago hospital, and it was suggested that uh, of the 125 people tested, only two died, uh, and a lot were discharged quickly. So the markets kind of shot up here thinking that we may have uh, a solution. And, of course, uh, the vaccine would be a wonderful solution because I don't know what other, what other solution we're going to have other than everyone going through it, and let's see who survives. Now, uh, the company Gilead did describe th- this uh, information as being anecdotal uh, and not supported scientifically yet. So you can take it for what it is. Uh, obviously, I can't know the answer whether it's going to work or not work, but the market's uh, uh, quite convinced that uh, we might be getting closer. One of the things I did want to talk about today there's an article in the L.A. Times, and the, the article, the headline was, the coronavirus may have severe impacts on liver and heart function in some patients. And uh, I'm going to read some of it here. In a study post this week, scientists in China examined the blood test results of 34 COVID-19 patients over the course of their hospitalization. In those who survived mild and severe disease alike, the research found that many of the biological measures had failed to return to normal. Chief among the worrisome test results were readings that suggested these apparently recovered patients continued to have impaired liver function. Uh, it, and then it goes on to say, at the same time, as cardiologists are contending with the immediate effects of COVID-19 on the heart, they're asking how much of the damage could be long-lasting. In an early study of COVID-19 patients in China, heart failure was seen in nearly 12% of those who survived. Now, uh, the, the use of the word heart failure doesn't mean you're dead, by the way, because if you were dead, that would mean the, the death rate goes from 3% to like 15%. It means that your heart's been damaged um, by the uh, virus. 
and and we do read a lot of articles about that, and we hear things about that. Of course, I'm not uh, qualified to make some decision whether it's bad or good, but I was shocked at that. Uh, further, I was shocked when uh, the Chinese also announced that 30% of the people who survived had no antibodies, which makes it a very scary type situation. And, of course, the South Koreans announced that of the people that recovered, 100 of them were reactivated. So this virus is a very, very complicated thing. Uh, it, it almost makes you wonder, well, how are we going to get a virus, that could, uh, sorry, a vaccine that can actually cure this virus because it mm-hmm. seems like it's a very, very complicated. Um, I, on another note, I noticed that Wuhan, the city, indicated today, oh, by the way, there were 50% more people died than we reported. They reported that this morning. So uh, it's still the elephant in the room. We all have to see how we're going to deal with a restart here. I I struggle with how do we do a restart versus us all being uh, left in our personal prisons here uh, for a little while longer. Uh, And I think my personal view is that because we're in an economic depression, as easily defined, uh, this is itself going to have some health effects that are, will be negative. Uh, I mean, I could go to the extreme and say, well, maybe we'll get some rioting and kill people that way, or, you know, people get depressed and shoot themselves, or things that, you know, are manifested because of the depression, and we just can't keep going on with all these industries shut down. Uh, I sort of thought to myself that maybe we say to the people under 40, you know, everyone back in the pool here, uh, because their likelihood of getting it is is not that high. However, having read, as I've just explained, what some of the long-lasting effects are, maybe that would be too early. But obviously, people are giving us a lot of thought, politicians are giving it a lot of thought, uh, because of our very negative economic consequences of you know, 22 million people being unemployed and, and rising uh, and and not being able to put food on the table. So this is going to need a lot more consideration going forward. How do we restart this? And in the end, it's going to take a lot of more money printing. Um, the thought that whatever, $3.7 trillion deficit in the U.S. is fiscal year, I think that's still a bit of an undershoot, don't you? Well, I sort of debate mentally whether this problem is too big to resolve. And, of course, there's two types of problems. One is the economic problem that's a fiscal problem. Then there's the monetary problem of, you know, whatever we have, quadrillion of derivatives and uh, the high-yield market breaking out and and the the corporate bond market uh, choking on lack of funding. all of the banking system needing support, the mortgage system needing report. I mean, there's so many groups, the, the airline business needing a big handout. You know, it's quite likely that this is bigger than the resources at our disposal. And yes, I guess we could just do MMT, modern monetary theory, just print the hell out of money and pretend that it's all for a good cause, which it is a good cause, but what's what's the final outcome economically? Do you end up with some bizarro-type economy where the inflation goes crazy? 
Um, and, and that to me is a big fear these days. I personally fear that the food prices are going to start going up here, particularly as both in the U S and in Canada, I think the biggest meat plants have now had outbreaks of COVID-19 and are being forced to shut down. These are the biggest ones. The one right. in Canada, I think supplies something like 40% of the beef to Canada. And I know we had a, a poultry operation in Ontario had to shut down because of the same thing. Um, which, by the way, tells you a little about the restart, right? Those people who've continued to operate are now all of a sudden finding out that they get outbreaks in their operations. One of the most noteworthy ones is uh, Amazon in France, where they had this outbreak. The uh, union took the company to court. The court said, you got to shut down or pay a fine of a million dollars a day. And Amazon shut down their whole French operation. And so there is a risk. There is a risk in operating. And we've seen it in the food industry, which was considered essential. I guess we figured, saw it in Amazon, which we considered essential. And I'm sure we'll see many, many other manifestations where, look at this thing is virulent and it's easy to go from one person to the next. So we're going to have to tread very, very warily in terms of how, how we restart this. And as we come out of it, Eric, you, met, you touched on this earlier, uh, maybe some price inflation this time. I, I've thought of a lot of it as maybe being kind of a stagflationary environment. I've been writing on my site this week a lot about how I think maybe this decade might look a lot like the 1970s. Now, I know you remember that well. You're about my age back during the 1970s. And so I wonder what... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, yeah. didn't catch that. <laughs> you were about my age it. back during the 1970s. I got it, Craig. Don't uh, worry. <laughs> what, do you, what do you remember about the 1970s and the gold price and the price of the shares and the environment back sure. then? Sure. Well, uh, of course, uh, I guess gold peaked out in 1980. The 70s were pretty good. Of course, in 1971, we went off the gold standard. And, of course, the price shot up from what was a controlled $35 to, yep. I think it got to 800 yep. in uh, 1980. And the stocks did, of course, incredibly well. We had many, many stocks that went thousands of percent. Yep. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I can suggest inflation. I'm certainly not suggesting a prosperous economy here. Right? Like, that was is so far from the truth that it almost has to be stagflation that we're we get inflation in in things where supply is restricted and the supply is restricted because the economy has fallen apart or yeah. whether it's because because of uh, we have to shut down or whether it's uh, because of the uh, the disease you still have a huge supply shock and yeah. uh you know, some of the imp- impacts of supply shocks. And we saw oil in the 70s, as a matter of fact, right? That was the first oil crisis in 73. And the price of oil went from whatever, $5 to 50 or 100 I forget what it was, but there was a lot of inflation back in those days. Matter of fact, inflation got up to 18% a year um, before they put a stop, a stop to it with Mr. Volcker in, uh, yep. in 2000. It just kept running up. So it's a big risk. Uh, before we get off the uh, sort of the economy and the market, one thing I should point out: we got this uh, uh, suggestion that we have a, a vaccine is good timing. We have uh, options expiry today, and of course, the back of my mind says they wouldn't run the market up on option expiry, would they? <laughs> oh, yeah, they would. That's exactly what they do, isn't it? So that they can uh, clip 
the, the greatest part of the herd. So right. I'm very dubious that uh, the market holds together. I think, I mean, economically, it's just, it's a disaster. I mean, I don't know how else you even describe it. And, and unless there's some way of getting out of this, it's going to stay a disaster, which sort of suggests, and people talk about price earnings multiples. How about price multiples to loss? There's likely to be a net loss for the economy if 50% of the companies aren't even in production. And then we, we had the bank earnings this week. I guess the worst was Wells Fargo. I think they earned a penny. But most of them were down sharply. And there's more to come. So, And they're a big part of the earnings, by the way. So there's only very few, maybe 10% of the sectors are doing well. And a lot of those would be to do with drugs and pharmaceuticals and healthcare. But the rest are doing very poorly. Yeah. And I, I might add, you, you talk about the impact of quantitative easing and all this cash. If we go back to when all that was announced, uh, Monday, March of 23rd, I've got a little scoreboard update for you, Eric. Uh, the stock yep. market is up about 22% in that course of uh, four weeks uh, with all that printed cash. But so is everything that we follow. Gold's up about 16%. Silver's up about 27%, so it's actually beating the stock market. And your big winner, Eric, is the uh, GDX, which is up about 45% in a month. Now, it had come crashing down, obviously, prior to that, but nonetheless, uh, the shares are doing great. I've got a lot of questions for you about the shares. Uh, do you mind if I kind of head into some of them? Well, i, I got to make one comment oh, sure, about, go ahead. Uh, about gold and silver for that matter. It's a very, very important distinction. I think I might have touched on it last week, uh, but it uh, certainly has come home to roost here. And that is that when you watch the action of the volume of trading and the change in open interest, it's like the commercials have gone to sleep yeah. here. Uh, typically, if the price of gold goes up $40, the open interest goes up 40,000 contracts. Uh, most days, it hardly changes, which means I think the commercials have gone AWOL. They're not in the market anymore, such that uh, when, it, when they do shake it out, there's typically a very quick recovery. Uh, when I woke up this morning, gold was down $30. And here we are, it's now down 11 And this has happened so many times. And one of the things I still believe, the commercials... And, and almost any group, for that matter, can push the price around on a very temporary basis. But you can't keep it down unless you're prepared to stand in there and sell when people are buying and shorting while people are buying. Mm -hmm. It's very obvious to me that the commercials are not shorting in this market. They are saying, hands off. It's out of our control. We have a physical problem, which you've written about and many others have written about in the COMEX and the LBMA. It's real. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have like 89, uh, is it 89 tons standing for delivery in April. I mean, that's an incredible amount of gold. Okay. We don't, we only mine about 2,200 tons a year for God's sake in the free world. So you can't have a hundred tons standing every month and not think that there's going to be a shortage, particularly with so many mines not even producing. Same with, with silver. The open interest is like about 140,000 down yep. from roughly 300,000 and hardly budging. 
So right. I think the commercials are out of it. You know, they're not in the game anymore. So we can move up quite quickly. Uh, I might also add that when you look at the uh, ETF, uh, the silver ETFs in the last month have added 58 million ounces. You know how I love to. First of all, let's round it up to 60 and annualize it. That's 720 million ounces. We probably mine, maybe we mine a billion. I don't think we do. I think it's more like 900 million. Uh, but 720 going into the ETFs and 40% of silver production not even producing. How's that work? And then in gold, they added 4.4 million ounces. I'd say it's four, that's 50 million a year. Uh, we mine about uh, 90 million ounces and 50 annualizer are going into the ETFs. Forget it. There'll be a shortage, which is exactly what's happening. There's a shortage of gold and silver. So those uh, things are certainly performing in, in a wonderful fashion. Uh, we still have to deal with the the variability in, in the price of the metals because, as you have noticed, I'm sure, many times, it can be up and down 10 bucks in like two minutes both right. ways. And it's kind of crazy what happens. I've seen some suggestions that, you know, if a guy had a 1,000 contract order, he could knock it down $10 because there's nobody standing in there. Nobody right. standing in. And I even noticed that the options, for example, in palladium and platinum, they don't even trade anymore. Like there's no in, no change in open interest. I think one of them last night, there was no volume. And that must mean that the spread in the bid ask is so extreme that no one goes there. Right. Because no commercial will stand in there. So anyway, I think the, the positioning in, uh, in COMEX is, is quite uh, positive. And of course, the, the physical volume and all the suggestions by many, many analysts and gurus that you should go into gold continues along. Yeah, and uh, again, it's that uh, digital trading of these phony baloney derivatives that somehow is allowed to set price. That's a kind of a combination uh, question that we got this week, Eric. Um, was One of them is, what will take the COMEX down finally? And uh, from there is, what authority can lay charges and, and, and blow the whole scam out of the water? You want to try those two? Okay. Uh, well, you know, the COMEX has gone through many, many difficult times in, in many different products and always seems to survive. And it's always tilted to, you know, even though the, if the commercials are short, we, we just suspend the market or a cash settlement or something. Of course, if it was the, uh, the outsiders who were short, they just run the thing right up and kill them all. Um, but there's, you know, what would stop the COMEX? What would stop the COMEX is when everyone realizes there is no uh, physical goal there. Uh, mind you, to, to, to recognize it is very difficult to do because even though you put in to get delivery, they can still just say we're going to hand you a check. But right. they would, in that, in that sense, have to declare force majeure. Okay, and then we'd all know, well, why do we have this commodity exchange if you can't ultimately deliver? Um, the London gold pool has been broken on a number of occasions, and I hope that you know, it will be broken again here. And it, it certainly sounds like it's, it's start, starting to crumble. So we may not have that much longer to, to wait, particularly with the kind of physical demand we see in the ETFs. Yeah. Uh, and I might uh, just throw this in there about what authority can lay charges. I know uh, Andrew McGuire has been oh. on this now for about six or eight months working with uh, the Bank of England. Um, the first gentleman that he was working with over there was ahead of the FCA and he was very concerned about the exposure and the financial exposure that those banks are taking in London 
by these paper games. That guy now is the head of the Bank of England, Andrew <laughs> Bailey. Yeah, yeah, and he'll be reprogrammed. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> uh, he'll probably somebody will probably show him the light. Um, all right. Yeah, right. That leads me then to this question, though. Um, you've mentioned before the Save Canadian Mining Initiative. This gentleman yes. points out, I assume you would have gentleman, gentle lady, whatever, the evidence is overwhelming. The juniors have suffered since the uptick, uptick, uptick rule was abolished. Um, yes. Where's that initiative stand? I know you've been involved with it. Sure. Well, of course, you have to convince some regulator that there's a problem, okay, or, or, or the political authorities. Uh, and the political authorities, if you convince them, they can tell the regulator what to do. Um, and it's, it's a process you've got to go through. And uh, I know that there's been many meetings, not that I've attended these meetings, but there's been many meetings with uh, the people involved. And uh, we can only hope that they see the light. We certainly try to uh, get uh, people interested and to talk to, uh, send letters to the regulators and their political representatives so that uh, they see the seriousness of it. And I, I think it's very obvious to me what goes on in those markets. So why the regulator? I know I know that the reason they, they got rid of the uptick rule is so the commercial banks could just willy-nilly trade things up and down and now goes and all yep. of that. Never have to worry about the uptick rule because it was great for theoretically business. Now, I'm not a great believer in that. I, don't, I think the algos add nothing to the true valuation of securities. Um, and, and what's the point of allowing these guys to front run a bona fide order? Right. And, and of course, you can't front run a sell order if there's an uptick rule. So that, that's why it was changed. And it, it's, it's sickening where we've left ourselves from the point of view of the bona fide investor who can't get a good fill and or sees his stock price get whacked because some some uh, trader thinks, well, I can I'll scare a few people out of this thing. And you, you see it all the time. I mean, look at even today, the uh, the action that's going on in gold when it goes down 30 bucks. And you see these lines going, dun, 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 dun. You know, and, and the guy's shorting it the whole way. Yeah. Come on. If you had an uptick rule, that wouldn't happen. Well, it also keeps so, the... So we're, we're hopeful. Keeps those companies reliant upon debt and going to the banks to uh, to fund their companies rather than use equity, but the equity is constantly under pressure. Of course it is. And it's tough enough in the mining business, Craig, when you think that, you know, from the point of start to look for a mine to finally get it into production, I mean, it's a 10-year battle, okay? It's a long, long time. So you need lots of investing, and most of it has to be risk capital, not bonds. The only times it's, it's loans is when you finally prove up the deposit, and then you can go to the bank and and, and kind of get a, uh, a development loan. But for the first eight years, it's, it's equity capital. And if we don't have equity capital, we won't have any new mines. Yeah. And we won't have any equity capital if we allow uh, people to uh, sell on, uh, on down ticks. Yeah. So I think it's well worth, worth the change. Eric, just a couple more questions. You're being, I very much appreciate your time this morning. Uh, this is kind of a COMEX question again, in a sense. Uh, with the closure of the mines in Mexico and Peru, which are the largest silver-producing countries, uh, we've yet to really see any impact of that on price. And uh, if you can comment on that, and then it's specifically a company like First Majestic, which has most of its operations sure. in Mexico, how might that impact the share price? 
Yeah. Well, it, it's difficult. Uh, well, first of all, yes, they have definitely shut down. I think there's definitely a tightness. I discussed that in the last week when I said I was trying to buy some silver. And I always have to ask the people before I even put the order in, look, at is this going to disturb the market? And these are silly little orders on a relative basis, okay? Uh, but I think it's very tight. Uh, we still have refineries operating at low capacity. We have many mints still shut down. I think you had a mint uh, just shut down in the U.S. that was doing uh, silver eagles, if I'm yep. not mistaken, or gold eagles. I'm not sure which one it was, but it was. They just shut down because of disease. That's the funny thing. You decide you're going to stay open, and then all of a sudden you find that you're spreading disease. Uh, yeah, what do you think was going to happen, right? So, anyway, uh, it it will show up. Uh, it, I I think it's being manifested as we speak here when we see this bifurcation of uh, of uh, pricing between the LVMA, the Comex, uh, the, the uh, online sites and things like that. So uh, it, it's, it's happening as we speak. Uh, we just haven't had a failure yet, but I suspect that's not too far off. And then as it comes to specific companies. Oh, yeah, First Majestic. Oh, yeah, First yeah. Majestic. I'm supposed to talk about that. Uh, of course, I know Keith Newmeyer very well. I've, I've been formerly a big owner of uh, First Majestic. I don't own it now because he's way too successful for me and, and recognized. Uh, and he's got a very nice uh, market cap. I try to uh, look in the, at smaller companies. But uh, it's a very, I, I have a lot of difficulties wondering, well, what, what should something trade at when your operations are shut down and the price is going up? And, I, you know, it's funny. I had someone say to me yesterday that everybody's buying the Explorers because they're not expected to produce anything, but the value in the ground is going up. And there's a certain sense of logic to that. Uh, but I guess it's also true of the producer because his resources in the ground are going up, but his next reported earnings won't look that interesting. And it's a bit of a trade-off, you know, which is more important. You know, the, uh, the reported earnings or the value of the long-term asset in the ground. And I think ultimately the important thing is the long-term asset in the ground here. We're not buying it for one quarter's earnings. In fact, I always try to look for it. I mean, if the price of silver starts going to $25, First Majestic will be a wonderful performer. So I think that's the uh, the essence of the answer. If the price goes up, these silver stocks are going to go up. And I think they've done better in almost any group of stocks, the silver stocks. All right, just one last question for you, Eric. And just in recognition of people that have sent in questions, um, we're not going to do I asked Eric, and he just doesn't currently have an opinion on America's Gold or Greatland or Silver Elephant or DeGray. But the one question I did want to ask you, Eric, is uh, just a straightforward and simple one. Uh, someone had written in and said, okay, in a hypothetical situation, if you could only buy one or the other with some cash that you're sitting on, would it be Wallbridge or Novo? Sure. Well, as you know, I've been a uh, quite a significant buyer of Wallbridge over the last uh, 12 months, two years, I guess. Uh, I was a big buyer of Novo probably 18 months, two years ago. I haven't really purchased much since. Um, the, uh, the progress in Australia has been a little bit halting. And, of course, we're still struggling with uh, the economics of uh, extracting the gold from the gravels. I think the one thing that is great for Novo and anybody looking for gold, of course, the price of gold being 1700 US, or in the case of Australia, I think it's like $2,400, $2,500 Australian. 
So there's a huge advantage there. And so the economics are coming towards you just because of the exchange rates and the price going up. So I, I'm sure that Novo can be economic. Uh, I Just that we can't say it's economic yet. But I, I, my preference would be uh, for Walby's because I think we're setting up to have a pretty significant uh, discovery at the Fenelon deposits. And uh, uh, they haven't restarted drilling, although luckily Quebec just this week said that uh, mining was essential and yep. is letting the mines reopen. Uh, I don't know if they're going to say that exploration is essential, but so I don't know whether Walbridge can, can go back and start drilling at Fenelon. So far, they're not, so we'll have to stand by on that one. Have to see how tight supplies get. Maybe then they'll deem yeah. not only uh, oh, yeah. mining, but drilling is essential. Yeah, let's hope so. Fingers <clears throat> crossed. Eric, anything else on your mind before we wrap up? I don't think so. It's uh, it's such a, a fluid situation, particularly with the coronavirus and getting the mixed reports of great news and, and horrible news. And, it, and of course, the whole analysis of how do we get out of this thing, which I think is going to occupy us for quite some time here, okay? And you can sort of see that the battle shaping up. One country says we want to open up. Another country says we're shutting down. So it's... Uh, it's very fluid, but it, it and it keeps everybody on edge here, yeah, myself included. Certain. That's for certain. Well, we'll see where we are by next week. But for now, I guess we'll wrap up. Thank you for all your time. It's been uh, valuable as it always is. And I hope you're able to uh, relax and uh, have a safe, healthy weekend. You too, Craig. All of us. And from all of us here at Sprout Money News and SproutMoney.com, thank you for listening. Stay healthy. Keep those hands clean. And then come back next week for another weekly wrap-up. Until then, it's time to go. Again, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.